just a first time meditator can start to see some immediate benefits. And we've measured this right off the bat. The cortisol levels start to come down. Our heart rate comes down. The blood pressure comes down. Even just two or three weeks out from short meditations, we start to see the feel-good hormones. Welcome to the Plant-Based DFW Podcast Weekly Show with Dr. Riz and Maya. A show broadcasted from the Dallas-Fort Worth area that focuses on lifestyle medicine. This is the use of evidence-based lifestyle therapeutic approaches, such as a whole food plant-based diet, regular physical exercise, adequate sleep, and stress management to treat, prevent, and oftentimes reverse lifestyle-related chronic diseases that are all too prevalent. Every week, they feature a guest who speaks on one of these lifestyle medicine pillars. This show is for you, the person who is seeking to improve your overall wellness and quality of life. So whether you are driving, walking, or relaxing at home, we hope this show will provide you one more tool for your wellness toolbox. Let's meet today's podcast guest. Welcome back to the Plant-Based DFW Podcast Show. This is Maya Acosta, and welcome to episode 135. In this episode, we will be speaking with Dr. Rashmi Scrum, who has been practicing family medicine for over 20 years. And in the last eight years, she has developed a passion for plant-based nutrition as well as mind-body wellness. She is nationally board certified as a health and wellness coach, in addition to being certified by Duke as an integrative wellness coach. She has long been drawn to the mind, body, spiritual well-being, and also interested in ancient wisdom traditions. And so while she's been practicing family medicine in the large hospital system, she has also studied and has become certified in teaching Ayurveda lifestyle, as well as mantra meditation and yoga nidra. Basically, in this episode, we will learn more about Yoga Nidra. And also, Dr. Scrum has offered our listeners a discount. So she's currently offering a live weekly meditation session every Tuesday at 8.30 Eastern Time until 2022. And the sessions are recorded and made available to use anytime for anyone who signs up. She also has a close Facebook group to support anyone's meditation journey. And like I said, if you are a listener of this episode, she has offered a discount code of peace 50 which is a $50 discount off the program price you can learn more about that program by visiting optimalwellnessmd.org forward slash meditation and as always I hope that you enjoy this episode welcome Dr. Shram thank you so much Maya it's a pleasure being with you what's well, a pleasure of mine because I was just saying that over 60% of our listeners are women. What I also like about what you said is that it's our birthright to enjoy peace and joy. And as women, we tend to provide a lot for our, our families. We tend to put everyone else first and then neglect ourselves. Part of it you mentioned is there's some guilt probably involved in that. That's exactly right. And you hit the nail right on the head. I involve that just in my statement right off the bat because I think just as women, we tend to feel very guilty if we focus any attention on ourselves rather than on others. And 
exactly like you said, we're givers. And all of that is amazing and wonderful. But when we're pouring from an almost empty cup, we start to get resentful. We start to feel our power is gone. We start to feel helpless and overwhelmed. And so really my work that I do is helping women to let that guilt go and to come to the realization and the discovery that it is okay to refill their own cups before they're poor. Yes, I love that. I'm already feeling better about it all. (laughs) I can't wait to hear about your coaching programs as well. Before we talk about those, because I always love to learn about physicians and how they decide on medical school. Can you take us back to a time before medical school? How did you decide that medicine was for you? And did you have role models in your life? Did you have family members that were already practicing medicine? Yes, actually. So I was born in India. I lived there until I was 12. And my family and I, we immigrated to the States and we were very close to our extended family. And I have an uncle who is a physician. He was kind of those 24-7 OBGYNs in a very small town. And so I did see some role modeling of being able to render care. I had volunteered here and there at a hospital or two, and I loved science very, very deeply. And during college, really, it was more of a, I would say I was more of a closet pre-med kind of person because I felt very intimidated by the other pre-med students. I mean, there was just a lot of high pressure. So I actually kind of laid low, took all the classes I needed to, took my MCATs and really spent a lot of time volunteering at a few different hospitals. And I thought for sure, I was going to go into psychiatry because I was so in love with this psychiatry inpatient program that I was volunteering at. And so that's really why I applied to medical school. And I was so grateful when I got in and really, really enjoyed it. As I got sort of through first, second, third year of medical school, it became really clear to me that I couldn't just settle on psychiatry, for example. And so I really wanted more lifestyle and prevention and things like that. And that's how I chose family medicine and really enjoyed my time during residency and certainly in practice as well. And now you've been in practice over 20 years. I have, yes. It's amazing, by the way, and it's probably an annoying statement for people to make, but you look great for having been in. Thank you. I would have never guessed 20 years. So now, okay, so I kind of want to touch a little bit on that aspect, the interest that you had in psychiatry. Is there a component to that mental wellness integrative medicine? Yeah, exactly. I think I've always been interested in mind-body. And at this point, I am not ashamed to say mind-body spiritual medicine. And by spirit, really, I just, you know, spiritual well-being, I think of a higher connection. I think of a sense of purpose and not necessarily religion per se. And so, yes, I think it really was always there nagging me. And I was always trying to work it into my very busy private practice. And it was like hitting up against some walls sometimes because because obviously we only have 12 to 15 minutes and it's hard to do that kind of medicine. And so as I trained as an integrative health coach, I started to develop a lot more tools than I felt I couldn't use in my large practice. And as I learned to not just meditate, but also teach meditation and learn about Ayurveda and was able to then teach Ayurveda, there was just no space for something like that. As I evolved, Wells just got a little bit closer. But yes, I think that those seeds were sown very, very early on for me, possibly even when I was a child in India, because my grandmother was very, she was very much so into you know Ayurveda and herbs and food as medicine and meditation, mindfulness, all of that. And I lived with her for many years. And so I think I just sort of carry a lot of that with me now. So how did you learn about 
plant-based nutrition. You just mentioned that she sort of used food as medicine. When were you introduced to this? It's fairly inherent in Indian culture, or at least where I grew up in the South and in my family. It was definitely inherent. If you had a stomach ache, here's the concoction that would help for this. If you had a headache, here's the concoction. And it was herbs that they were growing generally themselves in small pots because we lived in an urban environment. And so that wasn't necessarily very foreign to me. And then I also grew up Hindu. And so we didn't eat any meat at all. And so I really, but there was dairy involved for sure. You know, I remember daily getting milk from the neighborhood cow or something like that. And we would boil it and it was very small amounts, but there was certainly dairy and yogurt as well. But as I uh, began to then go to high school and college here in the States, and also I went to medical school here, obviously my diet was terrible. It was almost close. No, I can't. I don't think I ate the standard American diet, but I was definitely eating a lot of processed food and was, there was a good bit of dairy as well. And so it was more because I needed some kind of change. I had young kids and we were eating takeout a lot and I was dealing with a lot of chronic stress and sort of this chronic non-sleep. Everything was building one on top of the other. I really began to focus more on nutrition and look at more plant-based nutrition. And then we went almost completely plant-based, meaning non-dairy about eight years ago. And my kids are now teenagers. They are very, they're thriving on a plant-based whole foods diet. They're both accomplished student athletes. They both run and they do very, very well for themselves. My husband is also a very, very active person and he hopped on board a little bit later than we did, but I think that's pretty natural. And it was a very slow, steady progression for us as a family into plant-based. And so once you get here, it's everything gets so much easier. Then you can automate things and it just becomes just another day, not another plant-based day, but just another day. You mentioned that you suffered with chronic stress. So the whole food plant-based diet that we now consume really does have a calming effect on the mind and on the body, doesn't it? 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. The foods like French fries can pretty much throw not just our gut into a tizzy, but our obviously the mind-gut axis into a tizzy as well. I just kind of want to clarify, you're still seeing patients. So you do kind of two components. You're still seeing patients, but then you also have this health coaching aspect to you. As a matter of fact, on your YouTube channel, we watched a video that you put together of how is it that a physician transitions over to coaching? I do practice medicine, but right now I'm not enrolling any patients. And I'm actually sort of on the tail end of not necessarily pursuing too much more of that, but I definitely still practice medicine in some other venues. Really my focus now and my time and energy go into my coaching practice, but you're absolutely right. I think both can coexist and actually they can thrive off of each other. It sounds like what you've done is you're boarded in this field, you practiced, but you've also seen that there's a need that maybe say family medicine doesn't necessarily fulfill. And also insurance companies don't cover lifestyle medicine. No, that's exactly right. There's, you know, this just as well as I do, but all physicians, patients, we're all stuck in a very broken system. And so we really, if we want to have more functionality, if we want to make the 
big changes that we want to see. We have to start small. We have to potentially start outside of the system. I really admire folks who are within the system making the changes and I applaud them and wish to support them in any way that I can. But until the system becomes a little bit more functional, I think it's very difficult to function in a way that would be conducive to lifestyle and or prevention or mind-body medicine within a large system of operating medicine. It's really all about us as lay people understanding that investing in our health is key. And the best way to do that is to find the right programs, the right coaches like yourself who can guide us through that. And one of the things that really works for me is the meditation are the breathing exercises. And so we will talk about that. Do we want to start by just kind of describing what yoga nidra is? Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. We do need to, there's so much information overload that it is really wonderful when you can find a trusted source and as a physician and a board certified, you know, national board certified coach, as well as a certified meditation teacher, I hope to really offer that kind of grounded, trusted, experienced and knowledgeable source and help people along in their journey, however, that I can. So yes. So yoga nidra is a type of meditation and, uh, a lot of people, when they hear the word yoga, they'll say, oh, I don't feel like doing yoga today. And that's okay. In the Western connotation, yoga has really taken on a meaning of positions or asanas when really the origin of yoga and yoga as it's practiced in reality is it is really union of the mind, body, and spirit. That's what yoga means. And meditation is an essential part. It is one of the eight limbs of yoga that Patanjali described. And so yoga nidra really is just a kind of meditation that falls under the large umbrella of yoga, if you will. And meditation in general, by the way, can have all these different ideas that people have in their heads. And the simplest way to think of meditation is to go from activity into silence. That's really what it is. And ultimately, meditation in and of itself is really being present and open to whatever is unfolding in this present moment, which is when we practice it over and over again, really, again, falls under another large umbrella that's just mindfulness. Mindfulness, we all try to be very mindful, but we all know how challenging it is in our distracted and overly busy world. And so Yoga Nidra falls beautifully in that particular category. Yoga Nidra is a fully guided, it's a sleep-based meditation, but it's not sleep in the way that you might generally think of sleep. What happens is we go into deeper and deeper states of relaxation because it's guided in a certain way so that if we had like EEG machines on, we would see that our brains are in states that mimic sleep. So it would have alpha waves, depending on kind of how deep you get, you can have even theta waves, which can be sort of that dreamlike state. And so in essence, it is one of the most enjoyable ways to meditate. And it has been a real pleasure for me to be able to facilitate that certainly through the pandemic. And even now I regularly facilitate. In fact, I just did one last night for my group and it is just a really fun, luscious way. When I tell people, Hey, all you have to do is show up, put a blanket on yourself, close your eyes and try not to fall asleep. They're like, Oh, I'll try that. And now that you're describing it, Dr. Shram, I really think it's kind of what happens at the very end, at that very end where we're kind of coming down from our practice and refocusing on what our intention was at the beginning. And that brings me a sense of completeness and wholeness that I really miss. And I will be honest that I haven't done yoga 
in a while because I was so reliant on the in-person experience. But it sounds like what you're saying too, you just did a practice last night. Was this online with your group? Yeah, really. You would be so surprised as to even the transmission of energy, I feel, within just Zoom. I was very, very surprised. I was very skeptical last March when I started to do some of this work online. And I was floored. I was absolutely floored, especially the live. I do a lot of live meditations and people have some pretty incredible experiences with them as do I. I also have another, I have a coaching group myself that I belong to and those live sessions are all virtual. And what a gift too, right? Because you and I, we get to talk now. You're in Dallas, I'm in Florida and my clients are all over the country. And so we got connected. I mean, that was the upside of the pandemic is we all got to connect. I mean, it didn't seem all that weird that we were meditating together over Zoom. When I think a couple of years ago, it would have maybe I would have said, I don't know about this. <laughs> and so, yeah, it really is still a potent way. And I think some of that is just going to stick even when we do go back in person. I've heard you talk about the short-term and long-term benefits of this guided meditation that you do. And before you describe that, because I love the presentation that you did for Dr. Zhu. I think yesterday scrolling through the lifestyle medicine newsletter that we received and they talked about California being the first state that will basically be able to screen children and adults in primary care for ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences that people have suffered. And I rarely talk about that on the show, but if we want to talk about it, we can. But what I found fascinating is that this form of meditation, and you've talked about like the limbic system and what happens, the vagus or the vagal nerve, I think, which by the way, I just learned about last year. <laughs> there are all these components as to why it's so important for us to practice meditation. But for any of us that have maybe suffered childhood trauma and continue to sort of recreate or deal with some of this trauma, this practice can be absolutely beneficial. And for people that have suffered anxiety, especially as a result of the pandemic, or just live a daily stressful life, this could be very beneficial. So can you first tell us what is happening when we're not practicing meditation? What is happening physiologically, really to our mind, to our body? And then what happens when we begin to implement a practice like yours? Yeah, absolutely. So I definitely want to address the PTSD and or trauma bit that you talked about. You're absolutely right. In fact, there are plenty of studies that have been done to show that people who suffer from PTSD really hugely benefit from guided meditations, especially yoga nidra. And I think that's fantastic about the state of Florida. I mean, the state of California, here I go, yes. like Floridians <laughs> up there. And so, yeah, so what can happen, Maya, in a regular everyday world or life, if we are not very consciously managing our stress is that almost all of us in general just have too much stress. And stress as a definition is just our threat. It's a perceived threat, whether it's emotional threat or physical threat. And as you mentioned already, we can begin to replay things in the past and we can potentially predict terrible, disastrous things in the future and or all of the other actual things that may be happening in our lives. And so we generally, as a species, literally, if we are not conscious about it, just have too much stress in this modern day world. And of course, you add the pandemic on top of that, and it really makes for a big 
stew. And so if we're not consciously managing our stress, plenty of things can begin to happen and unravel within not just our brain, but our bodies as well. So we can start to live in a kind of fight or flight reaction. And what that can produce for us is a whole host of things. We can, our adrenal glands are pumping out adrenaline and cortisol basically almost all day. And to a certain degree that leads to chronic inflammation and within our brains that can relate to us staying within sort of our primitive brains or the limbic system to a certain degree and kind of replaying and flashbacking lots and lots of different things. And that can keep us from higher levels of cortical thinking. It can keep us from feeling the inner peace and calm that we're all capable of, or it can keep us from feeling happy. And so, or it can keep us from seeking happiness and or dopamine from outside of us. So that can result in addictions. It can result, it can be addictions to food. It can be addictions to alcohol. It can be addiction to social media. It can be really an addiction that doesn't serve us very well. And so an incoming meditation. So meditation, like I said, is just one simple and to me, very, very easy way. Certainly the way that I teach is incredibly easy and effortless way to practice mindfulness. And so when we practice being in this present moment without judgment and with curiosity, what can start to show up for us is that sympathetic fight or flight response can then very quickly. And even first time meditators, by the way, very quickly move right into the parasympathetic response, which is our rest and restore or rest and digest response. And we do that. I teach some breathing exercises in the Thrive Summit, and I teach those now as well. But just a first-time meditator can start to see some immediate benefits. And some of those, and we've measured this right off the bat, is the cortisol levels start to come down, our heart rate comes down, the blood pressure comes down. We start to notice even just two or three weeks out from short meditations, we start to see the feel-good hormones. So serotonin, norepinephrine, dopamine, we start to see those increases go up. Mm -hmm. And over for longer periods of time, all of this stuff is very, very well sustained. In fact, we continuously rewire our brain every time we meditate or practice mindfulness. And as we do that, the literal shape of our brains changes and our behavior patterns change. And we can start to overcome some of those, whether it's addictions that we're worried about or anxiety, we can really start to see that difference. And that's really why I do the work that I do is because I see this every single day. And I see See this in all kinds of different people as they really start to dig into even a short meditation practice, they start to see some benefits right away and much more benefits longer. You have worked then with clients that have suffered with PTSD? I have, but I will tell you the disclaimer here is that I'm not a trauma-informed therapist or anything like that. And so a lot of them have already done a lot of therapy and counseling work before they come to me. And that's generally advised to have someone who is trauma-informed if there is a big T trauma that they've been suffering through their childhood. Now, of course, a lot of times that's just not available to them. And so I do my best to try to help them out. But I would not say that I'm specialized in PTSD or anything, but we know for sure that yoga nidra and mantra meditation can help those folks. Now, going back to your practice, though, what I find interesting and is that a lot of people may resist. There's that resistance because there's the fear of I have to sit and you probably hear this all the time that I have to sit and stay still and focus in a way, you know, to be able to meditate. And what worked for me early on was doing the like the walking meditation, the guided meditation, of course, bathing, 
which has been guided in the past, those practices have worked for me until I can find it more natural and normal to just sit and be. So yoga nidra, is that guided? Yes. And so thank you for bringing up the different kinds of meditation. By the way, all forms of meditation are valid and you don't have to sit in lotus position. Although certainly if you were ready to sit and close your eyes, I have lots of guided meditations that I could talk to you about for sure. So yoga nidra is fully guided. That's exactly right. And all you have to do is lay down, close your eyes, try not to fall asleep. And speaking of body, because I just learned about the vagus nerve. And so as I'm learning about this and understanding that we can hold trauma or tension in our body, something that maybe I knew, but not at this level, when I now find myself kind of slowly allowing myself to move, I wonder if you can talk about that. I only took one trip since this whole pandemic thing. And I recently went to Florida and I flew by myself to meet my husband in Florida. So I'm sitting next to this passenger and I actually, I don't talk about it much, but I have a fear of flying. I don't know why. So I'm sitting next to him and he's worse. He's telling me that he fears flying and he's 10. So he's making it worse for me. So I find myself kind of trying to calm him. But without saying anything, I start kind of moving like this. And I said, don't mind me. I'm just kind of relaxing. (laughs) But in my mind, I was thinking I need to work on just relaxing myself because now he's adding to the tension. Can you talk about a little bit more about the vagus nerve? What is that? Where is it found? And how does yoga, yoga nidra work with the vagus nerve? Yeah, great question. And I love that story that you told me about on the flight because emotions are contagious. We are herd species. And so when we notice someone is very, very anxious, there's a certain energy that they put out. They don't have to say anything at all. They can just be sitting there like freaking out and we can sense that. And because emotions are contagious, you actually got a double dose of it because you were already anxious to begin with. And (laughs) so same thing, if someone is really joyful and blissed out, you can also feel that as well. You kind of are attracted a little bit to that and want to get closer to them, but you don't know why. And so, yeah, that's a really good example of that. And yeah, I had not thought about emotions for most of my life, certainly not when I was trained in in traditional allopathic medicine, but I really talk a lot about emotions and emotional well-being. And so, yeah, so that's an interesting thing. So you asked me a question about the vagal nerve. And so it's a 10th cranial nerve. It comes up from the midbrain, which is again, some part of our primitive brain that I mentioned earlier. And it is really, I think of it as the single most important healing nerve in our body. It comes through, it's a big nerve, actually, it has, it comes all the way through the esophagus and the throat, and it innervates, of course, the lungs, the heart, it goes down, it has, it sort of splays out over the diaphragm, and it also goes into the GI tracts, the stomach, the small intestine, the large intestine, and basically, it's a feedback loop, right? All of our nerves are feedback loop, and so it's checking in, it's saying, what's going on? So if we're feeling kind of anxious, our heart rate's up, and it goes back and it kind of a feedback loop. Oh, something's going on. Go ahead and increase the heart rate more and so on and so forth. Whereas if we deliberately work on getting the vagal nerve activated, like with breathing exercises, like with yoga, like with yoga nidra, then we can actually almost flip the whole story in that we can relax the body to a degree where we send a message back to the brain. Cause sometimes it's hard to just tell your brain 
starting to calm down and calm down. So if you end up doing a nice big deep breath where you stretch out your diaphragm and you've had practice doing that, so your vagal nerves already, um, you know, running right back to say to the brain, everything's chill, calm down. You can actually find yourself within that rest and restore parasympathetic response a lot faster by learning some of those breathing exercises. They can be an enormously powerful tool, whether it's for relaxation or if you suffer from panic attacks, it can help with that as well. There are certain breathing exercises that mimic vagal nerve stimulators that we use in things like epilepsy, for example. I've heard you talk about working with patients who suffer with multiple sclerosis. Can you talk about a little bit more about this? Was this class, this particular program geared specifically for individuals who have multiple sclerosis or just in general people with chronic disease? Yeah, a really good friend of mine has a nonprofit that is specifically for people suffering from multiple sclerosis. And she herself specializes in treating patients with multiple sclerosis. So I've taught within her program and I've had really good feedback from them as well. And certainly I've had patients over the years with MS and it is so key to manage stress because we know that it can be linked to flares, but it's also similar. We could say very similar to inflammatory bowel diseases. So whether it's Crohn's disease, you see any of those, it, it stress plays a huge part in almost every single chronic disease. And so, yeah, absolutely. I think it's really across the board. We should all be working on stress management in one way or the other. And the vagal nerve is activated when you go force bathing. The vagal nerve is activated when you're sitting and laughing with a loved one. All of those things are automatic. We don't necessarily need to consciously say, hey, vagal nerve, you need to work. It's already, it has this innate, amazing ability to do that. And so that's a really good question. So you talk about Noga and Nidra. Do you also incorporate at that time are you Verita in nutrition as well? I do. And you're exactly right. There's some people do very well with just yoga nidra, but almost all of my clients, we work on mantra-based meditation, which is just a simple meditation with their own mantra where they just literally can sit anywhere in their car, outside of their kid's school, waiting for them anywhere and spend five minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes meditating and get very deep into their experience because you're going to draw, obviously you have to be laying down and it has to be guided and all of that. And when you combine that with coaching, again, you start to get lots and lots of synergistic effects with it as well. And I love your description, by the way, Maya, of, of noticing where you're feeling constriction. And I think that's a really powerful tool that you've developed for yourself, by the way. A lot of people, a lot of us, basically we've gone through most of our lives trying not to feel those constrictions. So we'll go to great lengths not to feel things. And it's as simple as, Hey, where am I feeling this? And that can actually just that awareness can begin to have some profound transformational effects in and of itself. And the other thing I think that you mentioned, which is incredibly powerful that you've noticed for yourself that I think a lot of us also need to notice is, Hey, what are we taking in? Right? So in Ayurveda, there's the concept of Agni and Ama. Agni is our digestive fire, but it's also, it's not just digestion as far as food is concerned. Agni, when it's weak or not strong, is it's also related to what else are we taking in, right? Like, what are we reading? Who are we talking to? Who are we working with? What are we watching? What are we, all of those, what are we listening to? What is our environment like? We're taking all of that in and we must process those. Otherwise they get stored. They don't go anywhere. And so you being careful with what's incoming for you is 
amazingly powerful that you're already doing. And so that's the first part. And the second part is when you notice that there's something that's undigested and you notice a constriction that you're actually paying attention to it. And so I go a little bit further within my group programs. And so actually last week and this week, we're talking about emotional clearing practices. And a lot of that is really work based in ancient wisdom and Ayurveda that has really been translated into our modern world. And when we go through some of those clearing practices, we start to have a sense of freedom, of emotional freedom, of like almost all of our actions, if we don't necessarily, if we're not careful, they're all related to whatever emotion we're feeling ultimately. And if we don't know what we're feeling, we don't even know what we're doing. And we're getting different results than what we want because we're totally out of tune with what's going on with our mind body. And that's really why things like yoga nidra and asana yoga practice, any kind of mindfulness practice is really helpful to strengthen that mind body connection. That's why I value coaches so much that have experience like yourself because I've tried in my life, I've tried, well, mainly therapists, psychiatrists, people kind of that practice that more kind of Western model of approach and our conventional approaches to now being more open to what I consider kind of more holistic. When I'm coaching somebody, we're not looking at just one thing, maybe not one thing that happened in their childhood or adulthood or whatever. We're looking at what's going on, mind, body, spirit in a context of environment. And obviously everything is connected. So if you're stuck in a toxic relationship, there's going to be a very little chance that you're going to feel vibrant in yourself, no matter if you're 100% plant-based whole foods and you're exercising every day and you're in a toxic relationship, you're not going to feel very vibrant. And so we start to look at where can they begin to make meaningful changes for themselves. And as one thing shifts, everything else shifts too. And so if they are looking for a change in the way that they communicate with their loved ones and they really start to work on that, then of course, not just their relationships change, but also probably where they live, how they live, what they eat, how they're moving, how much rest they get, all of that shifts. Um, And so everything is 100% connected. And that's that wheel that we talk about within our clients. And so holistic, whole health, all of that would make sense. I want to also mention to our listeners that you have a lot of content on your YouTube channel. You do lives on a regular basis. Would you like to share any of that with us? I would. I would love that. Yes. So I really am striving to make meditation very accessible, very easy and coming. And I like to explain things scientifically as well. So I have a YouTube channel where I very regularly upload different meditations that are very, very easy to do and try. So I would love for folks to check that out. I do Facebook lives pretty frequently. I do IG lives pretty frequently. I coach one-on-one. I'm enrolling busy women right now who are feeling overwhelmed and I help them tap into inner peace and power so they can live really energetic and purposeful lives. I also run small group programs. Currently I'm waitlist only for that because we're finishing up one of my programs, but another one will be opening up soon. I'd love for folks to come check out my website because I also keep blogs and I'd love to keep you informed as far as hey, what's coming up next? Because I usually have lots of live meditations that are coming on and I send email newsletters out to those. So I'd love if anybody's interested in learning more about mindfulness, about meditation, hop on my website. It's optimalwellnessmd.org and sign up for the newsletter. And that way you'll be in the know the next time I'm doing different sessions for meditation, small groups, that sort of thing. 
Yes, and I'll include all those links in the show notes. And so how long are your programs? So they're eight weeks. Yep, they're eight weeks long. And we really touch on, you know, I mentioned emotional well-being. We touch on Ayurveda. We do breathing exercises. We do yoga nidra, of course, because it's like everyone's favorite. And we do mantra-based meditation as well. And we really tie all of it together as mind, body, spiritual well-being. And I also do some one-on-one sessions with folks too, just to make sure, because everybody's on a different place in their journey. And we all come together as a community to support each other. And so some people just need a little extra help with one thing and somebody needs a little extra help with something else. And, but everybody is on their own journey and they're exactly where they need to be. And, you know, I love participating in activities where there is that sense of community. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Do participants stay in touch with each other? Do you have a Facebook group for people that have completed your uh, coaching program? Yeah, that's exactly what we do. And they do seem to form really lifelong friendships for sure, because there's so many similarities, even though they might live on the other end of the continent, all of a sudden they're like, oh, this happened to you? The same thing happened to me, how rare. And oh, you want this? This is what I want too. And so they tend to really make new friendships and keep friendships or strengthen old friendships because a lot of them come to us in pairs is what I've noticed. They'll say, okay, well, I'll do it if you'll do it. And so at first everyone's really shy. Nobody wants to share anything. And then usually we have one or two folks who kind of step up to the plate and then the floodgates open and it's all fun from there. You are on Clubhouse as well, aren't you? I am on Clubhouse. I am. That's one thing that I want to share with our listeners is to begin to talk to them about Clubhouse and who shows up there, what kind of conversations happen. You active as well as a speaker. Do you ever speak at any other clubs? I do. I do. But I've taken a little break over the last couple of weeks because I mentioned addictions and I started to (laughs) notice that I happened to have one because there was always something very interesting. And all of a sudden I was like on, you know, listening in a clubhouse room, walking the dog and not looking at the beautiful sky and talking to my neighbors and had my air. So it got a little out of hand. It got really out of hand. It was a very deep rabbit hole. So I would caution people, enjoy it, but take a break when you need to. So I'm on a small break right now, but I'm already scheduled to be in, I think one or two rooms coming up. So I'll go in. It's just a matter of getting disciplined with something new like that. Like I joke about TikTok because I had a challenge in one of my groups where they said, you need to do 10 TikTok videos this month. And I never, ever, ever gone into TikTok. And I have teenage kids. They look at TikTok, but they're not necessarily big TikTok fans. And oh my God, that is so addictive. That is so addictive. (laughs) In the form of research, I would lose an hour here or there. And I'm like, no. So I've been off for months. So I'm detoxing from TikTok. (laughs) Right. I'm on my own journey and I'm seeking. And I found myself at one time with my AirPod sitting beside my husband while he's watching television. And I have one in listening, you know, and he's asking me questions. And I noticed that I started to do the whole, yeah, honey. Yeah. And then I'm like, I'm busy listening to this conversation. And when I noticed I did that, I decided, okay, there's only a window where I'm willing to listen to the conversations that are happening, but not when it comes to spending quality time with loved ones. Like I can't go down this addiction path because I can have an addictive personality as well. So absolutely. And they're designed to hit those pings in our brain that we want more of it. Right. And it's so interesting. And we're curious and we're learners, but by the same token, we also have things that we need to do as adults. I love that 
all of these components that are now part of your practice really come from your background in many ways, from ancient wisdoms and teachings that have existed in India, like Ayurveda, and then you talked about your Hindu practice as well. So it must feel amazing to kind of tap into your roots and say, well, I come from this in a way. Yeah, you're right. And I didn't really think about that for a very long time because what's interesting, Maya, is when I was growing up, it was in the 70s in India and the British rule had been there for 200 years or more. And they had really kind of vanquished all of the Ayurveda clinics and hospitals over those 200 years. And so there was a lot of Western medicine being practiced when I was growing up. And so it was thought It was almost like Ayurveda, yoga, all of that was almost a little bit passe because at that time there was a huge shift. And so luckily and thankfully in India as well, yoga is coming back. Ayurveda is coming back. And that holistic sense of mind, body, spirit is also coming back. But just like there's big swings that happen in society, but those seeds were definitely planted and it does feel really amazing. It feels intuitively correct for me to be doing what I'm doing now. Yes, that's exactly, I think, what I was thinking. These practices work. This is why it's becoming more and more. They all are so common than even when I started in terms of my interest in my 20s. Now, 30 years later, it's like there's a yoga studio everywhere. People are doing yoga, meditating, really tapping into their own inner power, which is, I love it. I'll come back to the fact that you help to empower women. I do. I do. It's amazing because when that happens, their partners become empowered, their relationship with their loved ones really right away transforms. And it really, it's a ripple effect and it's amazing to watch. Well, Dr. Shram, thank you for sharing all of this information. Like I said, I'll add the links to the show notes. And then of course, we want our listeners to follow you and to learn more about you and to sign up for your programs. And thank you once again for your time. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, Maya. You've been listening to the Plant-Based DFW podcast show. If you like our content, please like, share, and leave a review. Our goal is to provide quality episodes to help support the community.